exploring our podcast. Nothing is sweeter than SwiftCast. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 128 of SwiftCast. This is Steph. Ashley. Haley. And Adam. And we have a really exciting episode because Taylor has been doing a lot in the past few weeks. And some things that we wanted to cover last week, we just didn't even have the time to. But one thing I did that I've been wanting to do for several weeks now is I went to the Taylor Swift corn maze in Frederick, Maryland. If you haven't heard about this, I think we talked about it on a previous episode, but they made Taylor's face out of corn for this corn maze. And there's a slogan on it that says, dare to be different. I've never gone to a corn maze before, so I thought it would be fun to do. Of course, also, it being Taylor was the motivating factor for why I went. But uh, they had all kinds of cool questions about Taylor to help you navigate your way through the corn maze. So I brought the questions with me just for you guys in case you wanted to know what they were like. So a little trivia game, huh? Yeah, so... You guys probably will know the answers right away without me even having to read the options. So just (laughs) shout it out if you know it. Taylor was born on... December 13th, 1989. That's a tricky one. (laughs) No one knows that one. (laughs) She was named after... James Taylor. James Taylor. Right. This one I guess I'll read. It's what instruments does she know how to play? Guitar, clarinet, violin, and piano guitar, drums, and piano, or guitar, banjo, ukulele, and piano. That one. Correct. But there are more than just those. There are. Yeah, there are. So that one's sort of wrong, too. Who first taught her how to play a guitar? The computer repairman. Correct. In 2012, Taylor made the largest donation ever to the Country Music Hall of Fame for a music education program. How much did she donate? And for this one, it was four million, one million, or eight million. Eight? I'm not sure. Yeah, I thought this was the hardest one. It actually is four million, but if you would have said eight million, you would have gone the right way because they both were turn right. <laughs> Whereas one million told you to turn left. So if you got it wrong, you would hit a dead end? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or you would just sort of go around in circles. The next one is how tall is she? Six foot, five ten, or five six? Five ten. Five ten. Right. How long did it take her to write love story? One month, one day, twenty minutes, or one hour? Twenty minutes? Correct. I was gonna say an hour. That was hard. I actually remembered that. I don't know how I remembered that. Didn't Andrea just say it maybe? on the ACMs when she introduced Taylor before they gave her the award. I remember Andrea talking about Love Story. Maybe that's where she said 20 minutes. Maybe, but I I also think it was in an interview at some point. The next one is actually wrong. So I'm excited to see what you think about this one. When Taylor was 12 years old, what did she do over the summer? Played on a travel soccer team, wrote a 350-page novel, Performed at a karaoke bar or lived in Paris. Didn't she write a novel? Adam, you say wrote a novel? Yeah, she wrote some sort of novel. 
I don't know at what age or... Yeah, it wasn't at 12, though. Right. Do you remember what age it was? 14. That's right. But this answer was that she wrote a 350-page novel at age 12, which told you to turn left. I selected performed at a karaoke bar because I'm sure she did that when she was 12, and I turned right. And then I was mad because I said, this question is wrong. It's just wrong. (laughs) The next one is, what was her first job? Bagging groceries, scooping ice cream, training horses, or removing praying mantis pods from Christmas trees. Praying mantis pods. Correct. And then finally, how old was Taylor when she wrote her first song, Lucky You? 10, 16, 8, or 12? 12? Yep, that's right. So it was fun. They had little facts about Taylor throughout the corn maze. I thought they should have been playing her music, have speakers throughout the whole thing, but they didn't. So I entertained everybody in the corn maze by playing Shake It Off on my phone and... There were some Swifties ahead of me who clearly came only to do this maze, and they were playing the whole album, and I really wanted to go talk to them, but I didn't. So it was fun. I would just like to know what gave them the idea to make Taylor into a corn maze. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's so random, but so cool. Yeah, I think they just realized how amazing she is. I like that the slogan of the core maze was dare to be different because Taylor is very different from anyone else out there. But next we're going to go to Taylor's older tweets. Our first one is from October 23rd, 2009. Reading 17 magazine on the floor. Peace and quiet. I like this moment a lot. Such a young Taylor. (laughs) The next one comes from October 24th of 2009. Watching my dad make himself a fluffer nutter sandwich. Last time I saw one of those, I was at the lunch table in third grade. Aww. <laughs> the next one is from October 19th, 2010. Just landed in Funden, or as others call it, London. And Mean is out on iTunes. Exclamation points. And she wrote exclamation points out, which is cute. <laughs> yeah. Our next one comes from later that week, October 24th, 2010. I woke up and realized my album comes out at midnight tonight. Whoa. Just whoa. This is the time of year when it's very emotional because pretty much all the albums have come out around this time. Exactly. And it almost feels like it marks chapters in our lives too, doesn't it? Definitely. Absolutely. I know what I was doing five years ago three years ago, and a year ago. In other years, I really don't know what I was doing. (laughs) Well, the next one is from October 21st, 2011. Hanging out with my dad, he walks in and says, not to talk about stocks, but, and then talks about stocks. (laughs) The next one comes the same day, but a year later, so October 21st of 2012. This is my last day of life before red midnight to death. And it's a picture of Taylor looking out into some trees. It's crazy that was three years ago. I kind of wish she would do this like every era. Yeah, then we could just have a big collage of all of them. (laughs) 
Although before she released 1989, she did that photo of her back. And we didn't even know really much about 1989. But the sunset dress photo, do you guys remember that one? It's really similar. Yes. I love that photo. On October 24th, 2012, Taylor wrote, Starting the morning, Meredith is silently judging me. Lovingly, I hope. And it's a photo of Meredith lying on the floor, giving a dirty look. Typical. I don't think it was lovingly. (laughs) Our next one comes from October 20th, 2013. Something I'm really excited about is happening very soon. Maybe even as soon as tonight. And Ashley, what was that tweet later that night? And the follow-up tweet later that day was, So, Sweeter Than Fiction will be available at iTunes tonight at midnight. And yet, two years later, we've still yet to hear it live. That's exactly what I was going to say. We're not bitter or anything. I have a prediction that I could have saved for later, but I just want to say now that on October 20th of this year, at the Lexington show that I will be at, she will play Sweeter Than Fiction, finally. Wow, very bold prediction. She won't. (laughs) I feel like you just cursed yourself with that. I probably did, but I want it so bad. Prepare for 15. (laughs) I'm already prepared. (laughs) The next one was from October 20th of last year. And it says, Was the entire crowd just chanting Becky? Says Tree Payne after my X Factor Australia performance. This is going to be an interesting tour. I don't think I remember that. Were they chanting Becky? Is there a video? I don't think there was a video, but I think after the X Factor cut away, everyone was chanting Becky. (laughs) I think this was probably right after she posted a photo of No, It's Becky t-shirt. Yeah, that was a few days before the album came out. So yeah, that makes sense. Then, just four days later, last year, on October 24th, Taylor wrote, Thank you to the thousands of people who came to Hollywood Boulevard to watch us play. It made me so emotional. You have no idea. Love you. And that was when Taylor performed for the Jimmy Kimmel show last year, right before 1989 came out. I remember that well. Wasn't that the first time she performed out of, out of the woods? Right. It was amazing. Well, next, we have a ton of news for you this week, so we're going to go right into Keeping Up with Swift. The first news item is that the third video from the Grammy Pro series was released last week, and it was all about Shake It Off and Clean, and I thought it was better than the first two. I thought it was just awesome. What did you guys think? Yeah, she definitely saved the best for last. Yeah, it was really awesome to hear voice memos we have never heard before especially hearing clean on the guitar was cool just to hear what it started out as and to know what it ended up as was cool yeah it was really interesting hearing her talk about it and hearing the voice memo from it Um, i had no idea that some of the sounds in that song were made from instruments and things that i had never even heard of so for example There were two things used to make sounds in the song called an Ibira and also something called Boom Whackers. I had never heard of either of those things. Me either. (laughs) I remember Taylor talking about 
going in with Imogen and she had all these instruments that I don't even think Taylor knew existed. But yeah, I've never heard of these. They're odd names, but they really, like Taylor said, are the hook of the song. Well, and the Ibira is the sound that you hear at the very beginning of the song that sounds somewhat like a xylophone. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And then also really interesting what we learned about Clean. Um, I think we had already known that it took one day to make. It took about nine hours to make the whole song. And the vocals were completed in two takes, which is unbelievable. Yeah. And Imogene did not have any sort of sound effects added to her voice. Taylor said that's just Imogen's voice. <laughs> so that's cool. I'm still a little surprised she has not yet been a guest. Me too. I still wonder if the O2 in the UK will be added later. I'm surprised it hasn't already because for Red she did it in February. But if she did add the O2, Imogen would be a good surprise. And then Taylor went on to talk about and play voice memos and clips from Shake It Off. And the first thing that she mentioned, because Shake It Off has lots of horns in it, like trumpets, and she mentioned that she has a fear of horns, which was pretty funny. (laughs) Kind of just something she couldn't really explain, but I think she embraced it. Taylor also mentioned something we've heard before, but... She said she really wanted Shake It Off to be the song where if you're a wedding and you're the person who's just been sitting there doing nothing all night and then Shake It Off comes on and your friends say, no, you have to dance to this one. Come on. And then everybody's just dancing to it. And then we got to hear an awesome voice memo where Taylor basically figured out in that moment what the chorus was going to be. And she just was so excited at the end of the clip. She was like, that's the chorus. (laughs) (laughs) that was so cute and then there were a couple more things i guess she used a used cigar box with strings on it to make some of the the sounds for the song i can't remember if it was max martin or shellback who really wanted that on there but she said you can't even really hear it and then finally to wrap it up we got to see an awesome video only a few seconds long but it was taylor max martin and shellback And they were in the studio, and they were recreating the horn sounds from the song just themselves with their voices, and it was hilarious. Yeah, and they also showed the stomping, and those clips are shown before the tour on the video, and I actually never knew what the stomping was for. I figured maybe Shake It Off. I knew the ba-ba-ba-ba thing was for Shake It Off, but I was never really sure what they were stomping their feet for. Apparently, it's for Shake It Off. And even the ba 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 buzz, she said they're at the end of Shake It Off. I still can't hear them. I try every time I listen, but I can't find them. I really can't even imagine what the song would be like without all the horns and the trumpets, honestly. It makes a song, yeah. And then finally, at the very end of the video, it was really nice. Taylor was inducted into a group of Nashville producers and engineers, and she was really excited to get that honor. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, that video really just, it's inspirational. Like when she was being inducted, that's what they said. 
they said, whoever has to follow you is in huge trouble. But I was just really taken again, I think I mentioned last week, by the reactions of the people who were there. These are all industry people, and they were there dancing along, listening very intently. And I think this was brilliant of Taylor to do because this is just going to make her so, so competitive for the Grammys. Taylor made her Grammy submissions, which I guess I didn't know in the past that artists get to pick and choose what they want to submit for Grammy nominations. And then the Grammy people, I guess, will decide based on all the submissions they get, which songs and albums and so on get nominated for the various categories. I don't think I knew that either. So the submissions that Taylor made for the upcoming Grammys, which will take place in 2016, and the nominations will be announced in December. But she submitted for Record of the Year for Blank Space, Song of the Year for Blank Space, Best Pop Solo Performance for Blank Space, Best Pop Duo or Group Performance for Bad Blood featuring Kendrick Lamar, Best Music Video for Bad Blood, Best Pop Vocal Album for 1989, and the big one, Album of the Year for 1989. So I wonder if you can only pick one song to submit? Well, she did two. She did Blank Space for a few and Bad Blood for a few. But I mean, for each category, can you only select one song? Oh, probably. For Best Music Video, I feel like Bad Blood and Blank Space should both be nominated in that category. I'm not biased or anything, but... That's what I think. I agree, but I bet there are probably regulations, so she must have had to choose one only. Yeah. But that's a great list right there. I mean, hopefully in December when the nominations are released, we see seven nominations for her for all of these. But I'm sure we will definitely see at least several of them. And, you know, I saw a tweet that after I read it, I was like, this is so true. Someone said that the Grammy Academy is definitely going to nominate both Taylor and Ryan Adams albums of 1989, just so that there will be all this controversy leading up to the awards. Really? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's true. People will be talking about it nonstop. There will be countless articles written about it for two months, all predicting what's going to happen and taking either side. And I just can't see them passing up that kind of publicity. Was this an insider who said this? No, it was just someone random I follow on Twitter saying what they thought. I don't remember who it was, but when I read it, I was like, I totally agree. I'd be very surprised if they didn't capitalize on that. They could, yeah. I'm trying to think what other albums could even possibly be nominated. Again, I'm I'm very biased, but and sometimes the Grammys nominates people who are indie and sort of unknown and when we talk with our friends from I Heard That Was Good, they talk about that a lot, how sometimes they just pick these sort of unknowns. So I'm sure there will be some of that, but I'm excited. I think the nominations are officially announced on December 7th, so we will be keeping you updated. Our next piece of news is that 1989 has officially spent 50 weeks in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 chart. Yay! Two more to go for a whole year. Also, Taylor has received six AMA nominations, and she is nominated for Artist of the Year, 
Song of the Year for Blank Space, Favorite Female Artist for Pop Rock, Favorite Album for Pop Rock for 1989, Favorite Artist, Adult Contemporary, and Collaboration of the Year for Bad Blood with Kendrick Lamar. And Taylor actually leads the nominations. Ed is right behind her with five. And these awards will air on Sunday, November 22nd. Another exciting thing about just events, not necessarily an award show, but on May 2nd, 2016, Taylor will co-chair, and I think co-host, the Met Gala. And Taylor's been involved with the Met Gala for years, and she always looks amazing. Last year, she wore the gorgeous Oscar de la Renta gown that was pink. And I think this is very exciting, because... We talked a little bit last week about how in the NME magazine, Taylor was talking about taking a break, but I don't know. I feel like if she's going to be doing this Met Gala in May, maybe she will have something to think about promoting in the fall. We'll see. Well, we obviously know that the 1989 World Tour has been hugely successful, and it was announced that through 59 shows... It has grossed more than $172 million so far. Wow. We are all proud contributors to that number. (laughs) Multiple times. I can't wait to see what the final number is after all the international shows and everything else. Well, the next piece of news was quite a surprise this week. I don't think anyone was expecting it. A remix of Wildest Dreams came out on iTunes, and this remix was done by Rehab, and Taylor is very excited about it. It's definitely a very different sound for the song. Yeah, I think this was a smart move. I was reading that Wildest Dreams already has sort of started to fall a little bit on the charts, so maybe this will give it sort of new life and help it. I'm really bummed. I was so excited about Water Streams being released because it's such a different song. So I was really bummed to see that it's falling a little bit. But it fell one spot, so it could easily move back up. I would honestly rather have the live version of Water Streams mixed with Enchanted, but I guess I understand why she couldn't really do that. So this song's good. It's a good workout song, if anybody needs one. Well, just recently, Taylor posted a picture on Instagram of her thumb all bandaged up with a big 13 on it, and her caption for it was, Band-Aids don't fix kitchen knife-related injuries. And I'm sure she felt like she had to post that because people would be freaking out when they saw her with a huge bandage on stage. (laughs) How is that working for her? Seemed okay. Seemed like she was able to play guitar and everything. Probably was on the side of her thumb versus on the tip then. I was surprised she didn't mention it at the show. I didn't see anything saying she did. But she's been injured a lot this year. Meredith scratching her, kitchen knives attacking her. Well, as we mentioned, Taylor was in Dallas, Texas this weekend. And the secret song for that show was 15. And then Ellie Golden came out as the surprise guest, and they sang Love Me Like You Do. So now Ellie has been a special guest three times, so she's already tied with Nellie. It's impressive. 
On the Red Tour, Ellie was a special guest twice, once in LA and once in the UK. I was a little surprised. I expected there to be more guests in Dallas because it was such a huge stadium. There were over 60,000 people there. Maybe she had to go home and rest her thumb. (laughs) True. And to wrap up the news, here is the upcoming calendar. October 20th is Lexington, Kentucky at Rupp Arena. October 21 is Greensboro, North Carolina at the Greensboro Coliseum. And then October 24th is Atlanta at the Georgia Dome. And sadly, the tour in the United States is quickly coming to a close. Then we'll have international dates to talk about, which will be exciting. Well, next we have a lot of really good fashion updates, especially from the GQ magazine. But first, we have Taylor's Instagram photo with her Band-Aids Don't Fix kitchen knife-related injuries, which was on October 17th. Taylor was wearing this cute ring that had her initials on it, TS, and that is from Dana Rebecca. It's called the initial ring. And unfortunately, it's $660. That's disappointing. I really wanted that. Of course, with Taylor's initials, not mine. (laughs) (laughs) And next, we have fashion updates from Taylor's photo shoot with GQ. The first one is one of the photos from the GQ shoot with Taylor in the white lace-up top. And she's wearing... Greg Lauren crisscross linen studio shirt. No listing available, but this lace-up top is available in-store only at Barney's New York Dover Street Market. And then also underneath, Herve Ledger Milo tipped scalloped edge bikini. Originally $840 on sale for $336. The next outfit, also from the photo shoot, is the T by Alexander Wang V-neck sweater, $330. This is the picture where she's laying down. And she has a Aries Mona and Malu string bikini, which is $290. And a David Yerman initial pinky ring, which is $2,350. Wow. Do you want that ring or the other ring, Ashley? I could get... (laughs) Four or five of that one for the price of this. The next photo is of her wearing a Gabriella Hurst Resort 2016 bodysuit. The bodysuit will be available at Bernie's.com starting in November, so we'll have a listing of that soon, so keep a lookout for that. She is also wearing the Aries Mona and Mallow string bikini for 290 and she has Joe's Jeans Indigo Tank. And that is normally $68, but it's on sale for 48 The next photo is when Taylor's sitting on some wooden steps on the beach. And she's wearing J Brand 1158 cutoff shorts, which are usually $138, but they're now $60. She's wearing the same Aries Muna and Malu string bikini, which is $290. And then she also has the same Joe's Jeans Indigo Tank on which was $68 and is now 48 This was my favorite photo from the shoot. Me too. The next one is the photo where she is sitting on the edge of a table, and she is wearing Topshop Moto White Denim Shorts, $58. 
a James Purse sheer slub side panel shirt, $155. That same David Yerman initial pinky ring with the letter T for $2,350. Also an Elizabeth Street Opal Marquise black diamond ring for $2,530. And finally, a Cartier Santos de Cartier bracelet. It was almost affordable until we got to the jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) As always, thank you to tastewithstyle.com for locating these outfits. You can go to her website for links and photos. And next, along with our theme of the GQ photo shoot, we're going to be talking about Taylor's interview, which actually happened in August of this year. I thought this was a pretty good interview. The interviewer did a good job of not asking questions like, what are the names of your cats? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And even just the way the author described everything that was going on, they're initially at this restaurant and Taylor says, oh, there's a paparazzi. And even Taylor's security team said, I don't think so. But turned out she was right. And this car follows them for a long time. Until Taylor tells her driver to pull over because she's actually on the phone with Justin Timberlake and she was losing reception. And I thought that was hilarious. Justin Timberlake just calls her and Taylor interrupts the interview and says, this is Justin Timberlake. Can I please answer this? And they talked for about 15 minutes. Justin was asking Taylor for advice on how to sleep because he has a baby and... We're not really sure what Taylor's advice for how to sleep is, but there was a funny line where I guess Taylor told him, you're never going to get old. That's a scientific fact. That's medical. And the author wrote, even Taylor's sarcasm is aspirational. (laughs) And then Justin was asking or confirming with Taylor that he would perform mirrors on the LA tour date. And it was hysterical just reading Taylor's reaction to this. The author wrote, Taylor reacts the way a teenage girl in Nebraska would react if suddenly informed that a paternity test had revealed Taylor Swift was her biological sister. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all want that? And I guess Taylor just kept saying, this is so crazy. This is so crazy. And her volume just kept increasing. And I thought this was really interesting because it seemed to pretty much confirm that Justin asked Taylor to be a special guest. Doesn't it usually work the other way around where Taylor calls the artists and asks them to be a guest? The author made it sound like Justin was the one asking Taylor, but I kind of wondered if maybe Taylor contacted him before and he was calling her back. To confirm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I don't know. You could be right. It could be that Justin just called her and said, obviously Justin knows that Taylor likes him. Even going back to Ellen so many years ago when Ellen brought Justin out because Taylor had a crush on him. So it's possible that he just knew she was going to be in LA and said, hey, let me perform with you. But while they were in the car, Taylor also showed the interviewer clips of Wildest Dreams, which we know was released later that month at the VMAs. And I guess there was a clip of a giraffe licking Taylor's face. And we have not seen that 
very disappointing. Taylor, get on that. I've been waiting since August for more behind-the-scenes clips from Wildest Dreams, but I just don't know that we're going to get them. And Taylor said she came up with the idea for the whole video concept because of a book she read by Ava Gardner and Peter Evans, which is The Secret Conversations. I feel like we've even seen photos of her getting off a plane with that book. So that was cool. And after Taylor was freaking out about Justin, the interviewer just explained, it's actually really not crazy that Justin would want to perform with Taylor, who's the biggest artist in the world right now. This quote really captured my attention. And the interviewer wrote, if a record as comparatively dominant as 1989 had actually existed in the year 1989, it would have surpassed the sales of Thriller. That's pretty crazy to think about. That's high praise. Very high praise. Absolutely. And it really is accurate if you look at the way sales went in the late 1980s versus today. It's just completely different. And then the interviewer got into kind of what I guess what a lot of people ask her about, just who her songs are about. Taylor just said that she's never named names and she feels like she has sort of a sense of power over what people say. Because even if something's not true, then she still has this one card that she's holding about who this song is actually about. And she said... I get to play sold-out football stadiums all over the world. I get to call up my favorite artists and ask them to perform with me. And most of the time, they say yes. I get to be on the cover of this magazine. This is all because I write songs about my own life. So I would feel a little strange complaining about how it's covered. So I guess it's she's saying she understands why people speculate about who each song is about. I definitely thought it was really interesting how she says that it's the one card she's still holding on to. I feel like that must help give her some sense of control when all these crazy rumors happen. Yeah, I agree that she's the only one that actually knows the truth. And I would bet that there are probably several, if not more than several, of her songs where the public's general perception of who they're about is actually wrong. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think there are even songs who I think I might know who it's about, and I could be completely wrong, because only Taylor knows. And there are a lot of songs where it is questionable, who could this song be about? And then, of course, there are songs like Shake It Off, which really has nothing, as Taylor says, it has nothing directly, intricately, or pointedly personal in it. And... She explains, no one actually says I stay out too late, but I thought it sounded good in the song. If anything, people just say Taylor stays up too late, being on Tumblr and Instagram. Yeah, didn't she tweet last night about the Dallas show at like 4.45 a.m.? <laughs> Probably, yeah. And then along this same topic about what her songs are about, she said that you have to have a sense of humor. And that's why she said when she wrote Blank Space, she knew some people would hear it and say, see, we were right about her. And at that point, I just figure if you don't get the joke, you don't deserve to get the joke. That was my favorite quote from the whole article. Me too. 
because I remember when Blank Space was released, there were people who bought that. They just did not get what she was doing. I don't really get how you could not get it. The song is so over-exaggerated, but who knows? And if you didn't get it from the lyrics, then the video should give you a clue. But there probably are people out there who think, oh, look, Taylor, she's admitting she's crazy. She's, like, burning this guy's clothes and, like, cutting holes into them. (laughs) So Taylor, along this line, says she's very self-aware these days. She says that there were a few years where she just never went online. It's interesting. She gives the dates, 2013. And she writes, The only thing anyone wanted to write about me was about me and some guy. It was really damaging. You're thinking, everybody goes on dates when they're 22. It's fine, right? Nope. Not when you're in this situation. And everything you do is blown out of proportion and expanded upon. And all of a sudden, there's an overriding opinion that doesn't accurately reflect how you actually live your life. And she mentioned that she forgot her Instagram password, which we all knew was true. (laughs) She did forget about it. But now she's very self-aware. She says, this quote really struck me. She says, if enough people say the same thing about me, it becomes fact in the general public's mind. So I monitor what people say about me. And if I see a theme, I know what that means. A.K.A. Sassy Swift comes out. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And then I like how she summarizes here. She says, in 2010, it was, she's too young to get all these awards. Look at how annoying she is when she wins. Is she even good? And then, in 2013, it was, she just writes songs about guys to get revenge. She's boy crazy. She's a problematic person. And I really wanted her to say, she should write a song called Maybe I'm the Problem, but she didn't. (laughs) That would have been fantastic. And then she said it'll probably be something else again this year. Which I'm not sure what it is. I think people are saying a lot of things about her squad right now. That is what it is. That is a new thing right now. And I also feel like people are complaining about the fact that she's everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. It's always something. She owns the pop music world, so she should be everywhere. Yeah, a lot of times she can't even help it. If you look at interviews of other musicians, somehow Taylor's name always comes up. She can't control that. It just happens. So in talking about why she's very self-aware... Taylor said that she actually used to watch behind the music every day. This was something we knew when she was a kid. She did this a lot. But she said her favorite episode was the one about the bangles. And she said, What I established in my brain was that a lack of self-awareness was always the downfall. So now she just really pays attention to what people say. I think it's good. I think it could be hurtful when... You realize people are saying things about you that just aren't true, but it's probably smart. Then she talked a little bit about just 1989. She reiterated that her label really was very cautious and tried to change her mind about it. But she said she didn't want to be disingenuous about the whole thing and you have to pick a path. And she mentioned that when she read a review of Red... It said that it was not sonically cohesive, 
and that was, as we know, her main goal with 1989. And then there was a part of this that I thought was really very interesting. The interviewer wrote, Late in our lunch, I mentioned something that happened several years ago. By chance, I'd found myself having dinner with a former acquaintance of Swift's, who offhandedly described her as calculating. This is the only moment during our interview when Taylor appears remotely flustered. She really, really hates the word calculating. She despises how it has become tethered to her iconography and believes the person I met has been the singular voice regurgitating this categorization. That is a really interesting line, and I'm really curious as to who this former acquaintance is. Me too. That's why I just don't know. It was a former acquaintance of Taylor's. Who says that she's calculating. Which obviously is. She obviously is. She has to, you know, strategize and do things that will help her music, help her label, help herself. But as she mentioned, calculating probably isn't a positive word. She would probably have people say strategize or she's strategic or something like that. Calculating has a very negative connotation. It sounds like somebody who just is very controlling and is not genuine at all. But I think to have any kind of success in anything in the world, you have to be calculating. You have to know what your next move is going to be. You have to think ahead and you have to be smart. I was just very curious about this too. And I think it's interesting that if this person is using the word calculating, I think it kind of speaks towards how everyone tries to paint Taylor in a negative light in any way that they can, even when it's not justified. Well, since this is a former acquaintance, they probably have a falling out of some sort. To me, former acquaintance just sounds like ex-boyfriend, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, ex-boyfriend, ex-friend. I just don't know, because I've read articles about Taylor being calculating, but I've never seen it connected to any one person. Well, in response to this, Taylor's quote was pretty good because she recognizes that to be successful, you have to be calculating. She said, am I shooting from the hip? Would any of this have happened if I was? In that sense, I do think about things before they happen. But here was someone taking a positive thing, the fact that I think about things and that I care about my work, and trying to make that into an insinuation about my personal life highly offensive. You can be accidentally successful for three or four years. Accidents happen, but careers take hard work. I think that was a great response. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, you can't just put out an album without putting any thought into it and just think, oh, well, this should be fine. <laughs> I won't promote this at all. I'll just see what happens. <laughs> and like we mentioned earlier, seems like the new thing is to criticize Taylor having a big group of female friends, her squad. And Taylor just said, I honestly think my lack of female friendships in high school and middle school is why my female friendships are so important right now. Because I always wanted them. It was just hard for me to have friends. And then she told the story that when she was younger, she wanted to hang out with her friends and they all said they were busy 
And then she went to the local mall and they were all there. So her mom took her to the King of Prussia, which is just outside of Philadelphia. And that helped her write the best day. Then it seems like what everybody's talking about here is her comments about bad blood. Of course, there were so many more interesting parts of this interview, but this is what the media has sunk its teeth into. And the interviewer just really asked, I think pretty pointedly, is bad blood about Katy Perry. Taylor said, you're in a Rolling Stone interviewer, and the writer says, who is this song about? And you sit there, and you know you're on good terms with your ex-boyfriend, and you don't want him or his family to think you're firing shots at him. So you say, that was about losing a friend. And then she said, then people tweet about what you meant. I never said anything that would point a finger in the specific direction of one specific person. And I can sleep at night knowing that. And I think we all talked about this. I think, really, if Bad Blood had been released without any kind of explanation, people would just say it's about a boy. Because the interviewer then said, nobody thinks this song is about a guy. And she said, but they would have. I don't necessarily care who people think it's about. I just needed to divert them away from the easiest target. Listen to the song. It doesn't point to any one person or any one situation. And we've talked about this a lot. It's The song is very general. It can be applied to any life situation. But I do think people would have said, oh, this is about a boy. Taylor has bad blood with a boy. So Taylor is basically saying here that she really didn't identify who bad blood is about, right? Or give any indication towards who it's about? Yeah. But that contradicts what she talked about in Rolling Stone, which the interviewer mentioned. And I pulled up the Rolling Stone article way back when, from before, when 1989 was released. And the Rolling Stone article says that the angriest song on 1989 is called Bad Blood, and it's about another female artist Swift declines to name. Okay, we all know that. She declines to name people. But the quote from the article from Taylor says, for years, I was never sure if we were friends or not. She, she, not he, would come up to me at award shows and say something and walk away. And I would think, are we friends? Or did she just give me the harshest insult of my life? Then last year, the other star crossed a line. She did something so horrible, Swift said. I was like, oh, we're just straight up enemies. And it wasn't even about a guy. It had to do with business. She basically tried to sabotage an entire arena tour. She tried to hire a bunch of people out from under me, and I'm surprisingly non-confrontational. You would not believe how much I hate conflict. So now I have to avoid her. It's awkward, and I don't like it. So as everybody knows that's a fan of Taylor and has read this article and has known about her and Katy Perry, it's so obvious based on that Rolling Stone article who it's about. So that's why this GQ article is just so strange. She's almost like, changing the story on us i think if we weren't so involved in taylor's life and all the aspects of tour and the dancers and the backup singers and everything like that we wouldn't have realized who basically jumped ship but because we are and we pay attention to those things we noticed which dancers went from one tour to another tour you're absolutely right here she says she told the rolling stone that was about losing a friend and that's basically all you say And the interviewer here points out at the end of the article, 
actually Taylor did say more than that was about losing a friend to the interviewer for the Rolling Stone. So I don't know. Can she remember exactly what she said? Probably not. She's done a million interviews. But still, I mean, she did say more than just that was about losing a friend in that interview. I don't know. Did this bother you guys? It did, and it still does. I just don't know what to make of it. I think she wants, honestly, for the whole thing to just go away. I think she's tired of it. The whole Katie versus Taylor thing has been going on now for over a year. Because that Rolling Stone interview was last summer. I feel like maybe she's not being 100% truthful here, but she probably wants people to shut up about it. And maybe this was her way of thinking. Maybe this will finally end this. I can see that. I don't know if that is accurate because now I'm even more curious about it. We've talked a lot about in previous episodes what songs from 1989 Taylor will continue to perform on her next tours. And I honestly, even though Bad Blood was a huge hit, huge music video, I don't really know that she'll perform it. I think it could easily be sort of like a picture to burn, better than revenge, innocent sort of song where she wrote it, she said her piece, she's done. There's no need to talk about it anymore. I would agree. I think so too. So speaking of innocent, Taylor also talked a little bit about Kanye West. And she mentioned that when everything happened at the VMAs in 2009, she actually thought he was going to make a special presentation to honor her for being the first country music artist to ever win a VMA. And then the crowd started booing, and she said she thought they were booing at her because they didn't think she deserved the award. And then she had to perform five minutes after that. But she said that one of her favorite things that has happened in her career is that she is now in a place where she and Kanye respect each other. That's awesome. I love that right there, and that they're now friends and acquaintances. And then to wrap up the interview, Taylor talked about her favorite show, Friends. She said that after her show, she goes home and watches Friends. And the interviewer kind of made it sound like a bad thing. Like, oh, Taylor's so lonely. She's with all these people, and then she has to go home and watch Friends. But she said... You might think a meet and greet with 150 people sounds sad because maybe you think I'm forced to do it, but you would be surprised. A meaningful conversation doesn't mean that conversation has to last an hour. A meet and greet might sound weird to someone who's never done one, but after 10 years, you learn to appreciate happiness when it happens and that happiness is rare and fleeting and that you're not entitled to it. You know, during the first few years of your career, the only thing anyone says to you is enjoy this. Just enjoy this. That's all they ever tell you. And I finally know how to do that. That was a great quote. And that quote is very similar to what she often says in the Wildest Dream speech on tour. Yeah. She's so accurate. Just that happiness is not something we're entitled to. It just is a fleeting thing. And those five minutes or less in that meet and greet just make the people who are meeting her so happy that even though it's so short, it's like one of the most happiest times that they've had. And she recognizes that. 
So overall, this was a great interview. If you haven't read it, you can find it online. But you should also pick up the magazine because the photos are pretty awesome. A few reminders for you before we go. Please remember to press the subscribe button on iTunes and it will download the latest episode for you automatically. If you want to contact us, you can tweet us at SwiftCast13 on Twitter. You can visit our Tumblr at swiftcast13.tumblr.com. We're on Instagram at instagram.com slash theswiftcast13, facebook.com slash theswiftcast. You can email us at theswiftcast13 at gmail.com. And you can visit our website at www.swiftcast13.com where you can listen to all of our older episodes. So finally, next week, Taylor will... What do you guys think? I'll think she'll show off her knife scar on her thumb. I was thinking the same thing. She'll take off the bandage and show us the result of it at some point. I'm still going to say that she's going to play sweeter than fiction, even though you guys think she won't. (laughs) For your sake, I really, really hope she does. That would be amazing. I also think at some point this week she'll post some kind of picture of either Halloween decorations or of a pumpkin that she carved or something along those lines. Maybe she was carving a pumpkin when she had her injury. Maybe. That makes more sense. Poor Adam, you've been on this fall thing for weeks and she's just not. (laughs) I don't know if she hasn't been listening to our episodes recently or yeah she really hasn't posted anything fall themed at all yeah she's got to get on that well i'm not sure i'm actually at a loss this week i'll say that i think she's gonna have a special guest well i definitely think she'll have a special guest in atlanta but i'll say she'll pull something out for lexington and greensboro especially since ashley's going to lexington hopefully i'll be right but whatever happens we will let you know next week on episode 129 for episode 128 this has been steph ashley Haley, and adam and we will see you next week thanks guys bye bye see ya thank you for listening to this episode of swiftcast visit us on the web at theswiftcast.com the theme song for swiftcast was written and performed by sydney and chuck SwiftCast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift, Big Machine Label Group, or 13 Management.